Hi, welcome to More Life the Reentry Podcast. I'm your host, Vinkivia Garner. Thank you for joining me today. So today we'll be introducing a new segment for our show. And this segment is titled Advocacy and Activism. And, you know, this is a really one of our special collections on this show. It really highlights individual supporters or organizations who are making efforts to advocate and support returning citizens throughout their process as they return back to the communities. Um, It specifically is looking at how these advocates are helping these individuals, what they are doing in their communities, and just kind of exploring their overall passion about um, this specific area. So today we have our first guest who will be with us um, with the introduction of this new segment. His name is Mr. Harvey. He is 46. He is a formerly incarcerated individual. Harvey is also the co-founder of the St. Louis Reentry Collective. Um, He's served 15 years on installments and has been incarcerated in multiple states. And as someone who has been in and out of prison numerous times, he is now using his lived experiences and connections in the community to change the landscape of reentry for formerly incarcerated individuals in the greater St. Louis area. So without further ado, I'll let Mr. Harvey um, kind of, if he wants to add anything, um, he can at this moment. No, yeah, just thank you for uh, inviting me on here. Thank you very much, Frankie, for having me. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Always, always. So like I said, this episode will very much be talking about advocacy and activism, but we'll also be sharing a little bit of Mr. Harvey's experiences himself. Um, as like I said, he has been formerly incarcerated, so he, he very much understands kind of what this reentry process looks like. So I guess to start off, um, since, since you're on here representing the St. Louis uh, Reentry Collective, can you kind of tell us what that is first? Okay, uh, so the Reentry Collective, the SCL Reentry Collective is, um, it's a group of formerly incarcerated folk and allies in the community that are working together to try to like see what we can do to um, help other formerly incarcerated folk in the community that are returning back. And also, um, uh, kind of advocate and educate uh, people that work with uh, work with system impacted folk as well. Um, in the beginning, uh, we kind of started off as a mutual aid. Uh, I'd gotten released in 2019, uh, December 2019, right before COVID had hit. And um, I was lucky enough to get a job, but then friends that were coming out right after COVID weren't so lucky to get a job. So I, I saw that there was like an immediate need to uh, raise money for formerly incarcerated folk, especially at that point in time. And uh, I was uh, at that time, I was I was going to Washington University and working with uh, the their uh, prison education project. And we were trying to uh, build a reentry program for the alumni that go through the prison education project. And for those that don't know what Washington University prison education project is, it's a um, it's a four credit college uh, program inside of, um, so far it's inside of uh, Missouri Eastern Correctional Center out of Pacific. And this first year, this was our first year for uh, Vandalia. They have a cohort of women in Vandalia right now getting college credit courses. Just this past week, they had their second commencement here and where 20 men graduated with associate's degrees and bachelor's degrees as well. So I was, I was working with them after I got out and um, it, was, it was kind of hard for us to raise money through the university. And we ended up uh, having to realize that if I want to do this, I have to do it myself. So we started the St. Louis Reentry Collective or SCR Reentry Collective. 
And um, we started raising money right away for people. And within the first year, we raised uh, right around $100,000 and were able to distribute it to uh, right around 100 people as well. So um, that ended up becoming really stressful for us and just like figuring out whose needs were more important than the others. And we kind of switched modes. And now we're trying to figure out how we can be more impactful in the community as well, instead of just like giving money to people and not giving them the tools to be able to like understand how to use that money in their best needs, right? And we didn't want to be, um, we didn't want to be like, like big brotherly and tell them, okay, like we're going to give you this money and we need you to give us receipts back. We need you to prove that you're formally incarcerated. We don't want to do all of that. And it, it became stressful. So we're trying to figure out how to like, Re, how to re, reassess that and put that out there in a way that's more impactful. So we put the fun on hold, but I'm in the process of putting together a documentary right now where I'm review, uh, interviewing formerly incarcerated folk that are returning to the community. And um, with that, um, I'm building out workshops based off of what people say our barriers are, our, our personal struggles are, and also the things that work and, and, and help us succeed out here as well. And uh, that's kind of where we are right now. We put our first workshop on last Saturday out at the Natural Bridge uh, St. Louis County Library. It was on trauma and how that and how trauma affects formerly incarcerated folk as we return to the community. Yeah, I saw that uh, on you guys' Instagram page because uh, I follow okay. you guys on there. Um, okay. can, I guess, can you tell us a little bit like how did that go? You know, your first workshop. Um, yeah, how did that go? Um, I thought it went really well. Uh, we had we had room for 50, 20 people showed up. I was I was going to be happy if like five or 10 people showed up. I was really good that there were 20 people in the room that I didn't know that I had never seen before. Um, that was that was a really good experience. And it was also um, I think I might have uh, uh, put forth a little bit too much information in the beginning, but it was still like really engaging. And there were people that um, obviously had a million questions and uh, we had we had a really good response. We've got another workshop scheduled um, for August 27th with the library, and um, we're going to do that at the Rock Road Library, and we're going to be um, discussing uh, harm reduction for like farmer, formerly incarcerated folk. What does that look like, right? Instead of just like, hand, like Narcan and things like that, that's not necessarily uh, harm reduction. It is to a certain extent, but it's not, it's, it's, it's not really looking at like what's causing the harm. And so... I'm going to try to look at that like at a lens for like formerly incarcerated folk and, and the essence of like uh, really restorative justice, what restorative justice really looks like in community building for us, because ultimately that is harm reduction. And that's kind of what harm reduction looks like for the reentry community. And these are things that um, also I picked up on um, that other organizations that work with formerly incarcerated folk as we're reentering the community, they don't focus on these things. They don't focus on trauma and they don't focus on like harm reduction and community building for us as we come back in. Yeah, I've actually never heard of that, even just like in like the research that I do in just like school, I've never even, you know, heard of like harm reduction and looking at it from a lens like that. So I think that's pretty interesting. And, you know, I'm looking forward to like the type of work that you do on that and um, mm -hmm. and kind of what you get from there. So I'm also wondering, you, you talked a little bit just a few minutes ago about that, you know, you, y'all, you guys weren't really, um, getting what you needed from the university, not say getting what you needed, but making the money um, there or getting the fundraising there. Can you talk a little bit about more of those challenges that you were experiencing there? Okay, I believe I was uh, talking about um, our relationship with uh, Washington University when we first started as a reentry collective. So when I first got out, I was working with what was called the alumni program. It, that's Washington University's 
reentry program for its students that are incarcerated still. Um, anyways, so we were raising money and the university, the chancellor specifically emailed us and told us we had to cease and desist and stop from raising money for the reentry services because they wanted to be able to control like who it went to, where it went and all this. So there's a whole bunch of other things that were going on as well. Like, um, politics wise within the university. It was a new chancellor that came on. This was a project of a previous provost and a previous chancellor. So there was like a regime change essentially. And we were kind of combating that. So we weren't really getting a whole lot of help from the university. In fact, at first, um, I was just talking about this at first when I first started the Reentry, when we first formed the Reentry Collective. As a student, they weren't allowed to post anything about the Reentry Collective in the news in the uh, in the newspaper article that the Prison Education Project puts out about its alumni and students and stuff like that that are in the community, they ended up having to pull that material from it. But it, now, now things relationships have changed. Um, now uh, there's things that are a little bit different. The, dyna the dynamics are different, and we have a little bit uh, better relationship with the university. In fact, uh, the things that I'm doing out in the community are helping the the program actually raised money now so it's, it's looked at like okay this guy's a, a success in what he's doing so now let's go ahead and and help this like to to put this in front of donors prospectively so we can get money for the program instead of instead of basing it off of um basing donorship off of recidivism rates with a program because those aren't necessarily um that's a, that's not an actual like good metric and, and recidivism what is recidivism recidivism is like i think it takes like the onus off the state for some of its actions when you use terms like that so um instead of like focusing on those things they're, they're trying to like take a spin on on like the positive things that, that this that this educational program is allowing others to do in the community for it. but yeah now we have a, a lot better relationship with the with the university you know, and I'm I'm glad that's nice to hear. And it seems like you guys are moving up in an area where y'all would like to be. Um, yeah. So you started off as a mutual fund and that was just kind of, you know, giving money to individuals that needed it for whatever those needs were. And mm -hmm. now you're trying to move into more a, I guess, like outreach type thing. Awareness is that is that where you guys are trying to go? Um, a combination of both, and and and, and so we also curate um, a resource guide, a, or, uh, a virtual resource guide, and a print resource guide that um, has uh, resources in the greater St. Louis area that are specific to formerly incarcerated folk as we return back to the community. Um, but yeah, yeah, we're trying to. Um, so I think that like the advocacy part, I don't think we can necessarily. Uh, uh, create our mission of like changing the landscape of reentry without like having um, an advocacy part component attached to what we're doing because uh, a lot of what we're doing is like new because uh, a lot of the the reentry services in the community all like replicate what each one is doing and and I think that's not necessarily I'm not gonna say that that's their fault I think that's just like the metric that has been set up for like grant organizations and funding organizations so that's what ends up happening. And nothing is changing with like the recriminalization and rearrest rates. They're still like astronomically high. And a lot of these, a lot of these programs are based on the assumption that like people can do this for themselves, right? That that um that like that metric, you can't help somebody that's not helping themselves. Well, that's like that's like AA and things like that are based off of that. And only really like one third of the people that come through those services actually like benefit from them in a way that's positive for them. So 
Um, I'm going to change that and make it so that this is something that like we are saying is, is coming from us so that people in the community that work amongst us and work with us can see this as, as well. And also, and also um, at the same time, I'm building something myself and, and with others that uh, is, is going to actually affect the way that reentry is in the way that now we're networking and we can communicate with each other instead of having to rely on like government entities to provide housing or even reentry services for us. You know, this can hopefully we can get like formerly incarcerated folk that, that are successes in the community that can say, okay, I've got houses now myself and I'd be glad to rent to other formerly incarcerated folk. I've got a business over here. Um, I got a data entry business over here and I need, and I need, uh, and I need six people that are efficient in data entry, you know, not necessarily like uh, uh, menial labor, but also like sustainable like jobs that you can have like a sustainable income off of as well. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like we're, we're, you guys are really working to get formerly incarcerated people to a place where, like you said, they can sustain themselves and um, sustain agency and autonomy and dignity, all these yes. things that people don't look at. Yes. Yes. And, and I will tell you, like, that's the area that in my own personal research and what I do in school is looking at autonomy and looking at like how motivation and those kind of internal factors are, um, influential in the process um so that's the area i'm learning about and that i want to uh, that i'm diving more into and i think it's important um and a lot of it it starts from there in order to be able to get to where it is like where you are right now sitting you know trying to do better for yourself okay i like that so you were talking about that resource guide and i i think that is like amazing um yeah. what kind of i've looked at it clearly but what kind of stuff or what kind of resources are there in there that people can like if you don't have to like tell me all of them of course but like right. just some examples of things that you have on there so there's mental health services um there's we have uh connections to like food pantries in the in the area for people that are in, in immediate need of food assistance that that you know you, you can always you can spend like months waiting on like food stamps we we do have uh resources on how to file for food stamps um as well um, um, and uh, housing services. Uh, we have some things on like tenants' rights and things like that. And then we have um, uh, employment resources too. We have um, things specific, specifically geared towards like formerly incarcerated folk, how you interact in a job interview, um, things that like uh, we have an application on there that is from a formerly incarcerated person so that you can kind of see what those things might look like and how you can put your own resume together yourself because a lot of us have these huge gaps in our in our job history and how do you explain that in a resume how do you put a resume together that has like uh these huge gaps so there's there's a resume in there that's not necessarily chronologically put together but it's put together in a way that like an employer can still see your resources and your attributes and, your, and the things that that would make it beneficial for them to hire you on with them and also there so a lot of us have um uh a lot of like um menial labor jobs and in service entry jobs and things like that uh working in restaurants uh um shoveling di digging ditches things things that is not necessarily like translatable in a resume 
So we have a resume in there that shows how these skills that you learn doing these things, you can put down onto a professional resume where someone in, the, in a professional field can understand, okay, like I have like problem solving skills, I have managerial skills, just from doing these kinds of things as well. It's like washing dishes, right? There's a lot of time management that goes into washing dishes. And a lot of people don't understand that. So like to be an effective dishwasher, you can translate that into some time man management skills that you can then put on a resume. So we have a examples of things like that on there as well. And we're in the brief process right now of, uh, of updating it. So I do excuse anybody that goes there right now. And it is kind of um, in the process of we're putting new resources on. We're also trying to make it a little bit more aesthetically pleasing. And we're putting YouTube components on there that take you to like links of people talking about these things. So you're not just reading it at the time. Yeah. Wow. That, that is really great. Um, I like that. So you have these resources like mental health uh, and like employment, but you also have very practical things uh, that people may not know how to do because they they missed out on that because they were mm -hmm. incarcerated. I know when I was working at a reentry um, facility, um, that was a lot of things that I noticed that, you know, I never, I guess it never resonated with me because of course I know how to use that. Um, but there were people who didn't know how to use computers. Um, they didn't mm -hmm. know how to work an email. So this resource uh, or let alone fill out an application, like you said, it can be difficult to kind of explain those experiences. Uh, but this resource has very practical things for this specific population on how to navigate certain things. Like that sounds amazing. And, um, Granted that it's um, specific to St. Louis, I imagine like it, it can be used by other individuals, maybe uh, statewide and stuff, right? The practical things. Yes, yes. The practical things that are in there could definitely be uh, used by anybody with these same lived experiences. Like can someone in Kansas City can still look at this job um, uh, resume and still re it'll still resonate with them and also it'll take something from it. Okay, yes. Well, I'll definitely have to make sure like that I put that link in the description box. So people are like people that are listening, or if they know people that are, you know, going through this experience, and they need help with that, you guys can go to that link and look that there's practical things or people just in St. Louis, if they're not aware of it, then they could also use it as well. Okay, I like that. Okay, so um, a little uh, bit. Just, just real quick, we are trying to reach out to like, places like Kansas City, um, okay. Columbia and Springfield where there's also a large uh, population of people from uh, the incarcerated that return to those communities and trying to link together and put together resources guides for those individuals as well in those areas. That's, that's, our, that's our ultimate goal is to try to link together all these like communities. But uh, yeah, so far we're just like, we're, we're in the uh, birth stages of like communing with, uh, communicating with uh, organizations in Kansas City right now. Okay, that's good. Yeah. And I like that too, because that's always the goal to just expand um, and, you know, make your organization um, you know, more impactful, like you said. Um, I think that's really good. So I know you said you guys are, you're trying to, you're kind of reassessing things um, and you have a current event coming up in August. Uh, can you tell us when that event is again, August? It's going to be uh, Saturday, August 27th. Okay. And it's going to be from like one to like one thirty or so. I think it's only going to be like an hour and a half this time. Okay. Um, do you guys have any like other upcoming events that you are uh, working on or? Yes, we're, we're hopefully planning another one in September right after that. Okay. As well, yes. Okay. Yes. So we, we could expect more details about that um, eventually. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I like that. Um, so I guess my next question is 
who um, I know you said there was a group of volunteers. Um, some are mm-hmm. formerly incarcerated. Some are supporters. If people wanted to get involved, um, they wanted to become a volunteer. How would they do that? Um, you can email us at uh, sglreentry at gmail.com mm-hmm. and just, you know, um, give us a little brief uh, explanation of why you're why you would like to get involved and things like that. And uh, we have meetings every Tuesday. Yeah, people are welcome to come. The more, the more, the merrier, really. Obviously, you might get some people that that don't necessarily uh, have the best intentions, but um, this is a community effort. And I think the more people from the community that are involved in this discussion, the, the, the more effective this, this effort will be as well. And just curious, like, how are your meetings held? Are these in person? Are they in person? Okay. 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 So we've all heard that. Uh, If you want to become involved, definitely just shoot them an email. Um, and I'm sure that they will be open to, you know, you coming and, you know, getting involved and seeing what they're doing there. Um, I guess I'm really super excited about formerly incarcerated folk getting involved. Yes. It's super excited about formerly incarcerated folk getting involved in this process of creating this, this reentry space. Yes, of course. Um, of course. Yeah. So if you are a returning citizen, formerly incarcerated, um, they are looking for you guys and feel free to, you know, like I said, shoot them an email to try to get involved with the organization. I do want to ask, like, um, I want to shift gears a little bit, if that's okay with you, um, and talk a little bit about your own experiences with like reentry and maybe some of the struggles that you may have encountered and kind of how you, um, overcame those struggles yeah it uh i've been in and out uh, quite a few times five times i think six times i don't I, I but it um there was there was a lot of things that were missing every time i get out you know there was a, there was a lot of it was it was almost just like every time i got out of prison it's like all right you got out of prison that's it now everything's supposed to change you're supposed to be reformed um, you took a couple classes in prison, everything's supposed to be different. Nothing changed. Obviously, nothing changed because the access to my resources hadn't changed. The things that I was, the, the, the same space that I was in before I went to prison, I came back to that same space. And I don't necessarily mean like the same house, the same neighborhood. I'm talking about like resources. The access to resources that I had prior to prison are the same access to resources I had after getting out. In fact, there might have been even less. So nothing was changing in my condition. I was a I was a heroin addict, and and I, I just nothing nothing was changing for me. So, and I was also witnessing. I was also seeing that like people really didn't care what I was doing. Um, there there was there were certain extent instances where I was in the honor center, um, St. Mary's Honor Center down downtown St. Louis, and my. PO would get into an argument with my case manager about how to handle my heroin addiction, about um, me detoxing and, de- and how the detoxing was going to be handled, right? And I didn't have any say in this at all. I was just like left alone in this, right? And here I am like super sick. I'm, I'm defecating on myself. I'm doubled over in pain. And these two people are arguing about what's in my best interest and I'm not involved in this. Um, so these things were really starting to bother me and I wanted to get out of this. I I didn't, I wasn't comfortable living the way I was. I was sick. I was miserable. So 
I ended up going back to prison and I asked the judge to put me back in prison this last time I went back. I could have gone off with like an easy violation. I was just done doing what I was doing. And, and I knew that prison wasn't necessarily going to save my life. That wasn't going to be the answer. I just knew I had to do something different other than what I was doing. And coming in and out of prison on a probation or parole, whatever it may be, and them just like, here, this is what you have to do. You have to do A, B, and C, and not like allowing me to kind of like grow as an individual as well in this space and kind of like figure out how like I fit into it and what success looks like because I was always left out. So anyways, I, I get locked back up. I do five and a half years. I, I, I'm able to connect with... Um, uh, Washington University's prison education project out at out in Pacific, Missouri. I get an associate's degree while I'm in there. And so people start looking at me a little bit differently. They start looking to me for answers now. You know, people are asking me questions about like what it looks like for them. And, and, then, and then also the people that were building the program were asking me what reentry should look like for the program. How should we do this for the program? So that started making me like, take agency, have a little bit of dignity in what I was doing. So I realized I needed to start like kind of replicating this for others because I, I have the ability to do this now. Once I got out, I had the resources, the connections through Washington University, which is a huge organization. They had $8.4 billion endowment that they have access to, right? So being able to like figure out how to tap that resource became my like next mission. And that's kind of where I am now. But uh, for my my own experience re with reentry has been... Um, it's been really rocky since I've been out. I, I got out right before, right before COVID hit. Um, and I was so gung-ho on like doing this reentry stuff. And I was going to school full time and everything that like I wasn't focusing on myself and what I needed to do to change myself. I changed all these other things, but I hadn't really changed like the things in, in myself that were like bringing me back to prison as well. And I'm not talking necessarily about addiction or character defects or thing. I wasn't addressing the trauma and like the, the, the mental health behavioral issues that I, that I had from just life experiences. And so I've been struggling with that. And that has led me to this like journey of like trying to like reach out to others and, and like communicate with others and hear their story of reentry and kind of like build a reentry program off of that based off of my struggles. And, um, and, and I'm in, in, from the outside, a lot of people might look at like what I'm doing. Oh, he's doing great things. He's super successful, but still every day is a challenge for me. It's a, it's, it's super challenging for me. I do not like being in crowds. Um, I'm comfortable talking on this radio, uh, this, this podcast right now, because uh, you've made it very comfortable for me, but, um, but that's not always the case, right? It, it's, it's always, there's, I've always battling with like imposter syndrome. Do I deserve to be in these spaces? And I have to remind myself that I deserve to be here. And then also, you know, there's just a lot of like shame and, and then like loss of purpose that comes along with being a convicted felon. They take these things from us while we're inside. And then they remind us of uh, every day, this is why we took this from you. This is why you don't have any purpose anymore because you don't know how to behave. So coming out and like trying to like shuck that and like and, and, and reteach myself these things is, has been a process for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, I thank you for sharing that. Um, and, you know, I imagine, and like I said, I can only imagine that it is a struggle every day. 
every single day. And that's why when I invite people onto my podcast, like I really try to make them very comfortable and like um, where they can share their experiences. So I'm so glad that you were able to like share that with us in like a comfortable way. And like, you know, there's definitely no judgment here. Um, so yes. And thank you. Like I said, thank you for sharing that. Um, so kind of, uh, going off of that and where you're, where you want to move to, um, I guess, well, let me backtrack a little bit. You, you talked a little bit about personal agency or some things that like really came to the forefront of your mind of like, okay, I really need to work on this to get myself to where I want to be in mental health. Um, and, um, you know, some of these core things, I guess we see like some people struggle with addiction, but there are really some more rooted things and like trauma, like you said, that people need to address. Um, how, um, I guess like, I'm wondering, like, uh, is this like an area where you feel like, uh, what is the question I'm trying to ask? Um, I guess, is this an area where you feel like it needs to be more targeted in this population? Absolutely. Um, it's, far as I knew last time I looked, say, or Missouri, I'm not sure about Illinois, I can only speak for the state of Missouri. There, is no, there are no trauma-centered programs that are centered on trauma that affects incarcerated folk or system-impacted people. There's trauma-centered programs in, in the sense that they, like, they definitely focus us on the trauma and harm that we have caused into the communities, but there's nothing addressing uh, what 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 has led us to this place? What has led us to criminalization, criminal behavior? There, there's this isn't just happen overnight, right? And these aren't things that people just wake up and they're like, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna go rob my next door neighbor because I can't eat right now. Those things don't happen, right? There's 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 a cause and effect. So um, I, I definitely think that people need to organizations and especially policymakers need to start looking at what causes these behaviors, right? What, what's the root cause of this? Is it policy? It, what, what, what's, why is there so many people incarcerated right now? It's, it's not that like there are so many people misbehaving, there's something else going on there. So, um, what, and, and, I, and, and I think people are missing that. So I definitely think that people need to start focusing more on trauma because trauma is ultimately what causes what leads to a lot of us like act not not knowing how to like uh display our emotions you know we we we, we ultimately respond in so in a couple of different ways that come from where we learn from our environment is how we respond to things and if you're incarcerated you're only allowed to show two emotions you can show anger and frustrations are the only ones that are acceptable if you cry you're weak so these are the things that we're programmed to show and we come out into the community that's all we can show is anger anger and frustration now so if we start addressing the trauma, then we start understanding that not all these things are anger and frustration that we're looking at. There's happiness in there that we're still communicating as frustration because we don't know what happiness looks like. We're told what happiness looks like. Um, so I think breaking these things down will definitely start like addressing like some of the root causes of the mass incarceration. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, when I hear like about trauma, especially in like this population, I think I always hear it more towards uh, mass towards, too. Yeah, mass traumas, things like yes. that, too. But I always hear like when they want to talk about trauma um, and not to say they don't experience trauma or higher levels of trauma, but I always hear it talked about in regards to women that are um, formerly incarcerated or 
currently incarcerated most of the programming and stuff is dedicated to them have you seen any um i don't know if they have any in um missouri but any programs that are you know that granted no you just said there's not any um so (laughs) you just said there's not any so yeah so that that was that's why this workshop was so important for me to put together this first one was trauma-centered that's why it was so important um there was um a woman that used to work uh she was head of the uh Pacific uh, Education Center. Um, she attended. She doesn't work with uh, the Missouri Department of Corrections anymore. Mm-hmm. She's kind of starting her own reentry space, um, and she came into that as well to to see what I was doing. Um, and, and and some of the things that I'm doing, Sue, uh, Department of Corrections are picking up on and reposting on Facebook and things. So they're definitely seeing what I'm doing. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. look. And as long as they are seeing, that is great because, yeah. you know, with seeing comes action eventually. Um, so, yeah, uh, I guess like, um, dang, where was I going? Going out for that. Um, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. No, you are good. You're good. Um, I love I love the passion. <laughs> mm. So I know that the I, I understand, like, I love the passion. So we're talking about trauma and like, as that being like a source of what needs to be addressed when we are working with these individuals. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's an important area for people, clinicians uh, specifically when they are, you know, trying to work with formerly uh, incarcerated individuals are just as involved as trying, like you said, trying to understand those experiences that they had and trying to get to the root of those. Um, as somebody who is in, um, like I said, I'm in a clinical psychology PhD program. So, that's what I try to spend a lot of my when I do get opportunities to work with uh, Justice Evolve, like trying to really understand and um, get that context of like, how did you get here? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, kind of use those things to kind of help you facilitate where you can go next. Um, yeah. So I think that is um, very important things to like just really keep in mind when we're working with justice involved individuals. Um, but I think uh, the next thing I wanted to kind of ask you about was, um, Maybe some other some other challenges that you may have experienced uh, that are more, I guess, like what what level am I talking Um, like stigmatizing or like with like um, structural barriers and things like that? Kind of how there's collateral consequence laws like there's collateral consequence laws that make it hard for us to come out and. it's, it's a transition back into society smoothly. Um, there, there, there are laws that keep that, that uh, have like resident residency restrictions that become barriers themselves, right? So, um, it, people can then like uh, discriminate against you because of your conviction, and that makes it hard for us to get housing because there is now policy from the government that is allowing people to discriminate discriminate against us. And a lot of these are very liberal policies as well. So it's not necessarily just the Republicans in that in that conservative mindset. There's there's a lot of a lot of collateral consequence laws that make it super hard for formerly incarcerated folk to come back into the community and live successful lives just like just like non non-system impacted folk do. Um they you can't a non-system impacted person can't go into a job and and be discriminated against because of just whatever just because what they did that day formerly incarcerated folk can they can be they can go back into they can go to a job and not get hired at that job because of the decision they made 30 20 50 10 years ago even though even though the 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 statistics show that the probability of that person 
recommitting that offense is very low. And the statistics show that the probability of a stranger committing the offense is higher. It's still, there's policy that, that like restricts formerly incarcerated folk from um, uh, a smooth transition. And, 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 it, and really it's unconstitutional because it's, it's our, our right to, to, to prosperity. It's, it's denying us that right. So those those become those are ultimately the bear the, the the largest barriers that I see people um, that they have to overcome. It's 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 not that people don't want to help formerly incarcerated people. It's that there is policy that allows people to discriminate, and then now it people use that as a crutch. Then at that point, um, uh, there's people that work with the prison education project um, that have influence in other. Um, uh, corporations and things like that, that that are tied to the university, and um, uh, they have they they have a lot of influence, and they choose not to use these influences to help people get employment and things, because of uh, they think that there's liability issues with having formerly incarcerated folk work with the work, and it doesn't matter what the what the what the conviction might be, it's just they use these as an excuse not to um, lean on people to 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 um, to to give us to give us an opportunity, so really these collateral consequence laws and these misconceptions are ultimately the largest barriers that that I've had to face myself, had to overcome. So I've ultimately had to like kind of forge my own way because of them. Because like I don't want to have to like sit down and, and explain to uh, someone at Human Resources why I'm not going to rape and murder and rob everyone in the restaurant when I come to work every day. That's not that's not a fair assessment, right? So I don't want to have to put myself through that. So I've had to like figure out a new way to um, figure out how how I can how I can provide for myself in the in this space. So these are the largest barriers, and, and they have been the largest barriers for me as well, other than the trauma that I've faced and that I'm yeah. trying to overcome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I understand that. So, um, well, let me not say I understand that, but um, I. Yes, I think you understand what I'm saying. You understand to what say. I'm saying. Yes. yes, I understand what you're saying. And so what I'm hearing is we have these um, these internal processes that we kind of have to navigate or that you guys kind of have to navigate as well as another big thing that is really kind of stopping you guys from getting to where you really need to be is these structural policy barriers, things like that. These are where the changes need to be. Um, and but because we have because they're in place, people kind of use them anyways of like, well, you know, we're just not going to hire you. We're just not going to allow you to live here um, simply because the policy is there. So, it, I mean, it pretty much allows them to. This is a law. We, we can do this. And it's not really a law. It's just they have yeah. an out by doing this. Yes. OK. 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 Um, there was some. And, and what I was going to ask you earlier, too, is something you said um, you were released right before COVID. Mm-hmm. how was that so I was super excited I had all these like plans you know I I used to love going to concerts before I got locked up I, I love live music I love being outside I love all these things right so um I got out I went to a couple and it was dead and I like all of a sudden it was like I was quarantined back in a cell again it was it wasn't a cell but it was a cell because I wasn't I was by myself I was isolated again and the only like human connection that I was really having was um, through like virtual spaces and things like that. And that was kind of, um, it, it allowed me to, to kind of fall back into old behaviors where I was isolating. And then it, and then it could have been easy for me to relapse and things like that. So I was like, 
I kind of um, I kind of had to struggle with these things with um, with allowing myself to isolate. So I was forcing myself to go out and walk around <laughs> during COVID when no one else was around or even in very dangerous situations because I didn't want to like isolate. I spent so much time in prison. I didn't want to I, I wanted to live. I wanted to experience the world. So um, that was it was a complicated uh, it was complicated for me during that during that time. And, and also um, I, I was dealing with watching my I had a couple friends that died in prison of COVID that could have been released on medical um, uh, medical releases. And it was just that they were sentenced to a specific amount of time. They were they were they were elderly people. And they and they died of COVID, and and so I was dealing with um, having to uh, be a voice for them on the outside without like getting myself in too much trouble and like getting restricted from really doing what I want to do. So yeah, yeah, I could I could imagine like coming out and like you said having this expectation of like I know it's already hard coming out trying to readjust to this free world anyways, but to come out and then have to readjust and then fall back into a state of where, no, we're going to be actually quarantined for the next seven months. Um, I know it was hard for me to sit in the house for seven months. Um, so I can only imagine like what that feels like um, to come out and have to experience that again. In and, a world and, I know, and I know like suicide rates among like um, non-system impacted folk it raised exponentially during that period. I can only imagine what it was like for formerly incarcerated folk. I know, I, know um, I do have a few friends that, uh, suicide. I don't. They OD'd on drugs, or they were, or they were killed in the streets during that period of time, right? So, mm -hmm. and and that did go up. It, there was more. I uh, had close. A lot of closer friends died during that period. Yeah, yeah. and and I will say the one grateful thing about COVID, in a sense, which I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of great there's a lot of things we can thank COVID for perhaps like zoom um i really thank them for this but i think one of the things that really came out of COVID um that is just applicable to everybody is like this just need for mental health um and like this need for assessing and addressing mental health um so i think even for this population, people are going to start looking more into that um, and trying to get us to where we need to be, as well as just other, like you said, non-system impacted individuals. Um, so, yes, because I, I did read suicide rates went up tremendously among, you know, this particular population, um, as it did for other groups. But, you know, it's just it, it's a hard thing. And I, I could only imagine like what that experience was like for you. But um, I do want to um, ask, like, is there anything else you want to share with us, like, on the podcast um, or on the show, just to, whether it's about, you know, STL Reentry Collective or your experiences or just like any advice that you would give to community members or anybody else that is out there, you know, going through this process? Um, I would like to speak to the community members out there that like, um, just give us a chance. And if and if. Um, and if that first encounter might be a little awkward, don't don't write us off the first time because we don't necessarily know how to communicate out here. And there's and there's a lot of barriers that we're overcoming. So give us a shot. Give us patience. Be patient with us. Please be patient with us. You know, um, uh, we don't want to keep going back to prison. That's not fun. There's none of us really, really enjoy being in there. We become conditioned to be institutionalized where that becomes a comfortable safe space for us because 
we're so tra traumatized that we don't know how to interact or how to feel safe or how to find another safe space in these areas. So yeah, I just, I just, um, just so that the, the people that are working with formerly incarcerated folk or people that are that are that are thinking about giving formerly incarcerated folk a chance, give us a shot. You know, you'll find out that we are just like everyone else in this community, and 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 there are a lot of us that that will help make this community a better place as well. All right, y'all heard it there. Um, definitely, like you said, give them a chance. Um, second chances are really what we all need, but definitely making sure that we're giving this particular group a chance as like we, like you said, we can make the world a better place, make our communities a better place. Um, and yeah, so I thank Mr. Harvey for coming on to More Life. Um, you guys, if y'all are interested in keeping up with STL Reentry Collective, feel free to follow them on Instagram at STL Reentry Collective. And the um, local STL resource uh, website will be listed in our description box at the bottom. And then as always, don't forget to push the subscribe button at the top and follow us, More Life, on Instagram and More Life, the Reentry Podcast. Thank you.